Amen. If you've got a copy of God's Word today, today we're going to be in Psalms, and we're going to be in chapter 121, 121st Psalm. Uh, Happy New Year to you guys. I'm glad to see you. Maybe some of you resolved to be here, and you made it at least to January 2nd with your resolutions. If you're new in the room, I want to especially welcome you and let you know that we've prayed for you. We'd love to get your contact information. You can fill out the card and drop it in the boxes that say give, and we'll contact you in a respectful way. Um, The other card that I want you guys to pick up today is a bookmark. We're going to start Genesis, the book of Genesis, next Sunday. And so we'd love for you to prepare for that by reading ahead. And there's a schedule with each of the weeks where we're going to be, the passages that we're going to be looking at. And so we'd love for you to pick up one of those bookmarks. That's also what we use for our small group discussion. So if you're looking for a small group, this is a great time to plug into one. There's several options. You can find out more information online on our website. Um, thank you for being here. Now, let's, let's pray as we read God's Word that He would open up our eyes and our ears and our minds and hearts to receive what He has to say to us today. We believe that every time we open up God's Word, that it's authoritative that it's sufficient, and He has words to speak over us. And so every time we come to Him, we come expecting. So let's come with expectant hearts uh, to this God's Word, starting in verse 1 of Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved, He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this, your word, and I pray that as we think about the things that this word declares about you and about us as pilgrims, that we would be attentive to how you would speak specifically into our circumstances and the ways that we're journeying right now and maybe wondering where you're at or how you're working or how you're going to work in the future. And we get this promise here, Lord, that you are our help and our keeper And your keeping is sufficient. And I pray that today, those that need reminding or renewing in this this truth, that you would do it for the sake of your great name, Jesus. Amen. Several years ago, I began putting together a playlist, a musical playlist, like a mixtape of each of the years. Okay, So every year at the end of the year, I get to review the year in terms of the songs that I listen to. And Spotify always gives this to you towards the end of the year. They're like, here's what you listen to this year. Here's your most popular music. And for me, it was mostly music that my kids listened to. So luckily, I had began a playlist, and I started doing this several years ago. And so over the last week, I've been listening through like 2017 and all my playlists from 2017, then 2018 and 2019, 2020, and then this year, 21. And for us as a family, especially moving back to Mississippi after leaving the only home that my kids had known, they loved to listen through this and remember specifically where they were when this was our family's most popular song, 
whatever pop song it is, kids bop to worship music, wherever we're at, whatever we're listening to, they have memories of jumping on the trampoline back in North Carolina this, to this song or moving here and all of those things. Music becomes this kind of backdrop for what's going on in our lives. I don't know if it's like that for you. For us as a family, music is like very important to us. It marks the milestones of years even. It's uh, really great for me to listen to it in this particular season because I love this season. The season between Christmas arriving and Epiphany or the new year coming, remembering everything that God has accomplished in the year behind us, and anticipating all that he might do in the future. It's a, it's a, uh, a season of kind of in-between. And that's specifically why we're in this psalm today, because these psalms, this is a psalm of ascent or a pilgrim song. And as we gather as a people, as a church, closing out one year, launching into another, we're in between these two seasons. Um, and for us, maybe some of you have spent the last week journey. If you haven't, I'd love, I'd love to recommend to you that you go back over the year and say, God, how have you shown your kindness to me over the years, um, specifically in the year behind me? And then that God would teach us, as it says in Psalm 90, to number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. So I love this season because it, it, it just is a natural threshold to look backwards and to look forwards. And I considered this week where we are as a church. And I wanted us to just do some reflecting as a congregation today, looking back on where we've been and anticipating where we might be suspended in this place. Now, for me, I still feel kind of new to Bellwether, okay? I've only been here a year, and in my mind, it's just a blip on the radar of my 41 years. So for the last year, I've been here. For some of you, you've been here since the very beginning. And so we look at this time and this moment in time as a congregation and anticipation and celebrating all that he's done. And I want us to look at this passage and consider how we might hear from God in the traveling, in the journey between where we've been and where we're going. Now, the foundation of this passage, you have to understand the context of it. There's about 15 psalms between Psalm 120 and 134 that are called the Psalms of Ascent. Now, this was kind of like the ancient mixtape for families that were traveling to Jerusalem. Okay? This was their playlist. From Psalm 20 to 134, they would always go through these psalms whenever they were traveling. Okay, So at three times a year, they would take a trip from wherever they lived to Jerusalem to worship God, to remember what he had done for them, and to remember who they were as a people. And so as they're traveling up the road to Jerusalem, they would start in Psalm 120, and then they would start going through this mixtape of psalms. And you get to Psalm 121, and this, uh, for most Jewish families, they would have been really familiar with this psalm because every single year, at the same three times a year, they would take this trip into Jerusalem and they would play the mixtape, the playlist of that year. Now, these were to be uh, recited every time that they traveled there. And as they sang these songs as pilgrims, they were reminded of who they were as a people, that they were travelers, that they were in between things. And that is hopefully what we would be reminded of today. There's an invitation as we look back at the Psalms of Ascent to remember who we are, an invitation to remember that we're also pilgrims in between where we've been and where we're going. And the theme of being pilgrims runs not just in the Old Testament, but throughout the New Testament. In fact, in John chapter 14, Jesus says, look, where I'm going, 
you guys can't come with me, but you're going to come to me in the future. And Thomas, this disciple that I love, because he's always wondering what, how, how, when, how. And he asked Jesus, how are we supposed to know the way? You haven't shown us the path to get to you. And Jesus' response to him in John chapter 14 is, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so from that point forward, everyone who followed Jesus also understood themselves as pilgrims. It was an identifier for themselves. And in Acts chapter 9, they referred to themselves as people who belonged to the way. So for us as a group of people, my hope and the invitation of this psalm is that we would understand it for us in the same way as it was for them. A playlist for where they were going. A playlist for as they traveled. How could they remind? So we live in this time in between what God has already done and what he's promised to do for everyone who believes. And all along the way, the invitation of the psalm is to remember that we're pilgrims in between. And there's a great moment, not just in this time of year, but for everyone in the life of your uh, journey of faith, as you're walking towards Jesus, all that he has for you, to remember that you're kind of extended between two things. Eugene Peterson described it this way. It's like a time when the trapeze, trapeze artist lets go of the bar and hangs in midair, ready to catch another support. It's a time of danger, of expectation, of uncertainty, of excitement, and of extraordinary aliveness. So my hope, my prayer for us today as we consider the words of this psalm is that we would see ourselves transcended beyond what we've let go of and not yet to what we've, we're hoping to grasp onto full of life and hope that God's not finished with us. For us as a church too, this is something our staff regularly rehearses, that part of our culture is that we're unfinished works. We're not who we were, and we're not yet who we will be. So foundational to understanding who we are as we receive this psalm is that we are un- incomplete. There's a lot of things that Christ has already given to us in our salvation And there's lots of things that are yet to be realized when we see them face to face and all our hope becomes sight. So the first thing that I want to point out in this psalm is in verse 1. It says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? First thing that it commands us or, or gives us as a principle is to lift up our eyes in the midst of the journey. What does he ask? He asks this question, where's my help come from? There's several things that he would have seen as he lifted up his eyes. Look, the maps that we typically use on our phones don't give us a a topographical uh, uh, layout of the land in front of us, unless you're hiking, right? Unless you're hiking some mountain, it's not going to tell you how many miles up you're going to go. It's just going to say forward. But if you are hiking, if you're traveling by foot, it's really important to understand not just how far you're going, but what the elevation is. And that's one of the things that they would have understood going on this trip every single year by foot, that every step between them and Jerusalem was a step up, not just forward, okay? So they, they saw the, the land in front of them on every step of the way. Jerusalem was the highest city in all of Palestine, and so it's surrounded by hills, and from wherever they were starting out, they would have looked up to the place that they were going, and the way that he invites us in this passage is to raise up our eyes in, in, in the song, Seeing, I lift up to my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? So you would have seen the challenge in front of him, that there are risks in front of him. In fact, he names the risk a little bit further, that their foot wouldn't slip, that they wouldn't be uh, sunburnt by the elements, 
that they wouldn't have moonstroke, or in other words, like lose their minds. That's how they, they describe that, mental illness, that they would be struck by the moon. There were challenges in front of him, and there were also distractions, which is why he would answer this question with, my help comes from the Lord. There's lots of different side trips along the ridges of these hills, okay? During this time, uh, it's in the screen from Eugene Peterson. He wrote a book on the Psalm of Ascents. And this is straight out of it. It says this, During the time this psalm was written and sung, Palestine was overrun with popular pagan worship. And much of this religion was practiced on the hilltops. Shrines were set up. Groves of trees were planted. Sacred prostitutes, both male and female, were provided. Persons were lured to the shrines to engage in acts of worship that would enhance the fertility of the land would make you feel good, would protect you from evil. Or at least that's what those shrines promised them. So they look at the hills, they're not just seeing the challenge in front of them for where they're going, they're seeing the potential distractions of what could keep them safe. There would be uh, little g gods and goddesses that would keep them safe from the elements of the sun or keeping their ankle from being sprained or keep them from going crazy in the night. And in all of these things, they were potentially offering them these empty promises as they looked ahead of them. However, the promise of some temporary help from some idol, even though it's visible to them, the question of this psalm as he looks up to the hills is, where does my help come from? It was visually like seeing the billboards of every empty promise potentially along the way between here and glory, saying, hey, there's a way that you can get help for the journey. And they were all offering help with emptiness at the end of it. It didn't just give them the the picture of the challenge ahead or the distractions. It also offered them perspective of hope, of where they were heading. Lift up your eyes to the hills from where does your help come from. It doesn't come from the hills. It comes from God himself. Lift up your eyes for a moment. And so for us in this moment today as a church and as individuals, The crossing over from one year to another is a perfect opportunity for us to look backwards and look in front of us and list out the ways in which the world is saying, here, let me offer you something, some empty promise. It's an opportunity for us to lift up our eyes and get perspective for a moment of where we're going, from where we've come. There's a need for us as Christians to look up, to raise up our eyes from whatever it is that's capturing our attention. Maybe just the fact that there's a road in front of us. I don't know if you've ever been driving and you don't realize how you get to where you're going. Like somehow you just got from point A to point B and you're like, how in the world did I arrive safely at this place? Because I've been unconscious some way. The invitation of God is to look up from whatever it is in front of you. Look ahead of you. See the potential help that he offers to those who trust in him. The new year is this great moment for us to pause and think about where we've been and where we're headed to give us perspective on what God's done for you. And I want to ask you before we move on, what are the risks to your life right now, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically? What are the potential allurements of those risks? Are there any empty promises, any ways that you would peddle yourself off to get some temporary help where God is offering himself to you? What are the empty promises on the horizon? What's the hope that you're headed towards? 
Because for those that are in Christ Jesus, the ultimate hope is that we would come into glory and see him face to face and that we would not just see him in the future, but would experience him here. The response of this question, where does my help come from? He answers, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Where does it come from? So in other words, it's not just some future place where we get delivered from all the potential struggles of the journey. The help comes today. There's there's this great risk for those of us who are trying to just walk with Jesus that somehow over the horizon there's this promised land waiting for us. Maybe you feel this way right now, that if you could just get to March, if you could just get through the first quarter of the year, if you could just get to uh, this point in time where you'll be delivered from all of your struggles, temporary struggles, if you could just get beyond this. There's so many ways in which we look at the world and think, maybe if I could just have this, if I could just reach this point. And God's answer to that is, your help comes from me And I made the ground that you're standing under right now. I didn't just create Jerusalem where they're heading. He made heaven and earth. The present tense. And he's in the present. He's strong. He's the creator of all things. Everything you've ever witnessed. Everything on the horizon and everything under your feet belongs to him. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He's made all the places. And so when you think of where you are and where you're going, God is not some place in the future. He's here now. That's what he offered to those that were going to Jerusalem to remember what he had done and how he worked and who they were. He's saying, I'm with you on the path. That's a potential temptation for us to think that God is somewhere else. And he reassures us in this moment that he's our help right now. Psalm 139 says this, where should I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So he's everywhere. You cannot escape him. He's present with you now. He's not over the horizon. He's with you right in this place where you're struggling and tripping up and wondering where he's at. He's with you. And not only is he with you, he doesn't sleep or slumber. In response to the questions of their hearts where they're traveling on the way, we have this reminder to ourselves. Our God isn't asleep. He's not slumbering, unlike the pagan gods who might have to be roused. In fact, a lot of the pagan gods, little g gods on the horizon, would have had to have priests. And those priests' roles were to wake them up. Hey, wake up. They'd have to work really hard to get them roused. In fact, in 1 Kings, Elijah to the other the, these priests of Baals in this way. He says, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep, must be awakened. In fact, all of these little g, false idol priests would have had a task in trying to wake up the Lord. Just a reminder for you today. That God isn't roused by the temperature of your spiritual life. He's not more or less moved by how loud you cry out or how little you pray. It's just he's awake. He's aware. He sees you. There's not one step on the journey before you or behind you that he was not with you in. He knows you 
better than you know yourself. And in your circumstance, whatever it is that you've been called to endure, God is not weary. He does not fall asleep. Whatever it is you're walking through right now, he's more acquainted with your suffering than you are. He knows you better than you could even possibly understand your circumstance. He's there with you. He's not asleep. He doesn't need to be roused up or awakened. The Lord is not only creator of all things and helper in all those places, he's your keeper. And it describes a few ways that he keeps us as those that are on this journey or part of the way. Physically, he's our keeper. He will not allow your foot to slip. That means that he's aware of your physical body, the steps that you're taking, the stress that you're enduring, the potential ailments along the ways. He's aware of the elements around you, not just of your physical body. He's aware of what's happening around you. He's the shade so that you won't be bitten by the sun or suffer sunstroke. So physically, he's aware of you. Isn't that good to remember? That there's not one cell in your body that God isn't holding together right now. And then mentally and emotionally, it says that you will, you'll not let us be struck by the moon by night. In other words, he knows all the challenges that you're enduring place right now, mentally and emotionally. He understands it, sees, he knows, and he's your help and your keeper. Not just physically, but emotionally. He sees who you are and what you're walking through. And then spiritually, it says this, that he'll keep you from all evil, all the evil around you won't be able to have an eternal hold on those that are on this path forward. His guard over you is comprehensive. It's in every place. In fact, it goes on to say that in your going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forever. So there's not a time in the future and there's not a space from the time you pick up your keys to leave or you look for them like me whenever, or from the time that you come back. Every time you leave your house, even if it's going to the mailbox, every time you leave your bed, there's not a moment of your life that's apart from his knowledge and comprehensive guard over you. He's keeping you. So what does this mean? What does this mean that our help comes from him? Does it mean that every person who's walking in the way will never sprain their ankle? (laughs) No. Does it mean that you won't suffer physical, emotional, or even spiritual harm? Is that what it means? It doesn't mean that there's not going to be challenges on this road. But there's a song and a sermon and a psalm that we need to continue to sing over our own lives and over one another. That God ultimately is holding all of it. It doesn't mean that he's not keeping you when you suffer. He's holding it together. He's guarding and protecting. Whether it's physical trials, to know this reality that he's with us. He's not awaiting us when we get to the destination. He's with us now. He's not asleep. He doesn't need to be awakened to our suffering. He sees us in this moment. Whatever emotional trials we suffer, mental health, it doesn't mean that we don't belong to God, but it does mean that God is available to us in that. It means this, that, that it doesn't mean that we're not going to be tempted. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be tempted by evil. But it means that those that belong to Christ, it's never going to overcome you. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, it says this, there's no temptation that's overtaking you that's not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. 
He will also, but with the temptation, also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. In other words, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be distractions along the way. There's going to be temptations along the way. There's going to be all these appeals to stop and pause and to comfort yourself and to escape the route that God, ha- God has for you. And he's saying, no, I'm, I'm never going to let you be tempted beyond your ability. I'm going to provide a way of escape. So in trial and temptation in suffering and loss, as we journey towards God and all that he promised to us, He's also promised to complete the work that he's begun, that his grace has brought us safe thus far, and it's his grace that's going to lead us home. In Philippians 1.6, it says this, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So, what does it matter? That's the question I want to present us with as I close today. What does it matter that God is our keeper and our help? What does it matter? Specifically, as we enter into a new year, with all the potential resolutions. And I love having goals. I think goals are great. <laughs> I think it's great. Well, I, someone sent me this resolution this week, and it, I loved it. It's from an old pastor, Jack Miller. He says this, The only New Year's resolution I make every year is to collapse more fully on Christ. I trust in Jesus' resolve, not mine. Yes and amen. Who can agree to every year behind you that Jesus' resolve towards you is stronger than your resolve towards him? So this year, as we come to him once again, we look forward with similar New Year's resolution that we might resolve to completely and utterly know him as our help. To be more confident that our help doesn't come from all the peddlers of empty promises along the way. The distractions from the pain, the entertainment, the comfort of the moment, the promises that ultimately will aid us come from God himself, that he himself is our aid. He's not somewhere else. He's with us. He doesn't need to be awakened. And so this New Year's to know God as our help, that would be my resolution for us as a church that we would see him faithfully providing all that he's invited us into, that we'd cling more fully to the grace that God offers us through Jesus Christ, that knows God himself to be our only help. And look, some of us think of God as our help the way that we would recruit someone to help us in the yard, okay? We need a little help. We don't need God to be our help like that. We need him like a hand in a glove or like a paintbrush needs an artist. Or like a pilgrim who needs protection from the elements and even themselves. We need him to be life itself. We don't need a little help. Immaturity in Christianity knows God to be a little bit of help. To help us get by. Maturity as we follow Christ knows him to be life itself. He's the only way. In fact, Jesus said there's nothing good that can come apart from him in John 15. There's no fruit that you're going to bear. There's nothing fruitful that you're going to accomplish apart from him. No eternal thing is going to happen through your life unless it comes by knowing him as our helper and keeper. And so we come to Christ as our gracious keeper. He alone would be the help that we seek and that he alone is our one true hope. I love the way that uh, the New City Catechism puts this. It asks this question, what is our only hope in life and death? that we're not our own, 
belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our only hope. And so, today, in conclusion, I really am wrapping up. God is our hope. It's a real simple message. He's our help. And so, the invitation for us today to realize this is to lift up our eyes and look around you. Look at the road ahead of you. Look to the hills and remember the fact that God alone is your help. There's nothing that the horizon promises that God is not offering in himself that will ultimately fulfill what you need. And so for those of you who maybe you've been looking to other things, maybe the invitation to see God as your help is one of repentance. To to repent from all the things that would potentially aid us to just survive, to get to the horizon. To numb us from the lack of comfort. To settle all the things in our minds and and hearts that feel broken. So we could raise our eyes, see him as our help. We could be in repentance and faith, come to Christ again as our only hope. And maybe some of us just need to remember. Just to remember the fact that Christ has made the ultimate provision for us. And his promise is this, that he'll keep us to the end. The evil will not overcome us from this time forth and forevermore, from the day of our setting out until our, our, our arrival, that he's going to keep us into the end. And the only way that we have that kind of hope is trusting in what Christ Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. It's not in how strong your faith is. It's an object of your faith, and that's what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And so for everyone in Christ Jesus today, In just a moment, we're going to take communion. And as we take it, we're acknowledging that God provided for us what we could not provide for ourselves. That he will guard us until the day that we see Christ Jesus face to face. And some of us need to be reminded of that today. Just remembering the gospel, that that's what holds us. Not our resolve, but Christ's resolve to die in our place and to rise from the grave and to call us to himself. And his commitment is far stronger than ours. So, for us today, if that's you remembering, there's a, there's a story I want to uh, tell you. There's, um, I've been reading this book, Deeper, by Dane Ortland. I really I recommend this book. And he tells a story about Francis Schaeffer in there. If you don't know who Francis Schaeffer is, he was a great apologist. And he, he um, wanted the church to be pure. He had argued for years And towards the end of his life, he began to waver in his faith in that he started wondering, like, why is there this gap between what I believe about my reality and just how I experience reality? So he took some time away and he he was praying. He wasn't doing ministry at the time. And uh, he talks about this in true true spirituality. And he came to the conclusion that there was ways in which what Christ has accomplished in his justification, the fact that Christ died for him in his sins, this reality that was past tense, he had kept it from his present tense. In other words, there's a way that he thought about God's work as being something that accomplished in the past and something that had a future. But there was a way in which it wasn't impacting him in the now, in the present tense. And when he realized this, that the path of sanctification was 
believing what Christ had accomplished past tense and in the future in the present tense. That was how he was transformed. And he came back. His wife was like pleading with God, please don't let him drift away from the faith. And he comes back just resolved that his justification, what Christ had done for him past and future, had completely changed his present. And for us, I, I, I don't know if this would make sense to you, but there's a lot of times when we believe that Christ has forgiven us of all of our previous sins. And we believe that Christ will deliver us one day to be in his presence forever. But there's little effect that it has on our very present tense lives. And so I wonder how much today this reality would affect you, that Christ gave his body so that you could be with him today. If you're just looking over the horizon for some future glory, he offers himself to you today. Not just what he accomplished for you, he offers himself From where does your help come from? It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He made the very ground that you're standing under today. He didn't just make where you're going to. And he didn't just accomplish your past, what what he's forgiven you of. He offers himself with power to those who trust in him today. My hope for us as a people is that we would appropriate. That just means that we'd bring it out into the now We would see this power today for what he wants to accomplish through us as people, that he would be our help and our keeper, that we would know him today as the God who sees us, who guards our going out and our coming in, both this time and forevermore. Let's pray to that end. Father, thank you for this, your word, and I pray that it would, that there would be some part of this truth You're our help, creator, redeemer, and keeper. Would translate into the here and now, God. That it would not feel like some far off, distant reality. But we would rehearse this truth today. That it would be the playlist, the songscape for our lives, Lord. That we'd remember what you've done. And that it's in you alone that we hope. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.